You're listening to the Missionary Perspective Podcast with veteran missionaries Eric Johnson and Joshua Mead. We're glad you could join us. We trust this podcast will be both a blessing and a challenge as we relate topics in world evangelism from a missionary perspective. Now, here's Josh and Eric. Welcome to the Missionary Perspective Podcast. I'm Josh Mead, and today we have a special guest with us, Stephen Knickerbocker. He is a missionary to the Burkina Faso, and uh, you have been there since 2014. He's a church planting missionary uh, working in this very needy country, and we're going to get to some of the needs and the challenges of working in a place like Burkina Faso. He is here visiting us in Senegal, taking a tour of our ministry, and uh, we're in discussion. We'd love to come and visit you. You and Burkina Faso, of course, in the near future. But tell us a little bit about uh, growing up. You're a missionary kid, are you not? Yes. Yes, I was uh, born in Norfolk, Virginia. And when I was two, my parents went to France to be missionaries and uh, had a planning ministry there for over 25 years. And um, I got uh, saved at the age of eight after family devotions. And, uh, and so that was um, a moment uh, where I took the truth of God's word, which was in my head. I had a head knowledge of the gospel and the Holy Spirit helped me to understand my spiritual need and, um, and, and make a decision to trust Christ as my personal savior. The, the family devotional was on the subject of hell. So it shook me up a little bit. And, sure, sure. and I, I understood that, um, uh, there's more in this life than, uh, than meets the eye. And so, um, at the age of 16 afterwards, uh, I got baptized and, uh, and that was a point in time where I just waved the white flag to the Lord and let him know that whatever he has for me, yeah. wherever, uh, I'd be willing to go. And uh, I just understood one thing, that if I gave my life to the Lord to do as He pleased, He would be able to do greater things than if I kept my life for myself and, and uh, followed the plans that I thought I, uh, I could uh, accomplish for my life. A little bit after that, we uh, went back on a furlough to the U.S. and um, graduated from high school and then went to Bible college. It was in my senior year in high school and speech class that um, while we were sharing our personal salvation testimony, it was the last speech of the year. Um, it was during that class that a, a fire was lit inside me. And I just got excited about what the Lord had done in my life and excited to share it with others. And uh, I, I remember at the end of class, uh, one of my classmates told me, uh, are you called to preach? And I never considered it. And uh, and as uh, she brought it up, I thought to myself, well, that probably because I've got this burning desire in me to, to share what the Lord has done in my life. And so and so I believed after uh, meditating on that, that uh, that was the moment when the Lord uh, called me to preach. And then I went to Crown College in Powell, Tennessee and uh, and graduated with a. Um, a bachelor degree in uh, pastoral ministry and with the idea to um, plant churches, but also train national pastors. And uh, uh, growing up on the mission field, I had a little bit of experience of uh, how things went. And so I wanted to concentrate really on the pastoral ministry, uh, understanding as much as I could of how to uh, pastor 
And because uh, when you plant churches, you have to train pastors. And so we, we don't want them to have the missionary mindset. We want them to have a pastoral mindset as the Bible teaches us. And so that's kind of a unique way that I approached uh, uh, preparation yeah. uh, to go to the mission field. Before we get into Burkina Faso, how you and your wife met and all of that, tell me a little bit about having grown up on the mission field and then sensing God's calling in your life. Did you automatically assume that I'm going into missions as a church planner, or was there just a thought, well, maybe I'll be a church planner in the States? Was there an assumption of where you would serve, or that just remained open as you were seeking God's will? My parents never pressured us into being in the ministry. In fact, they probably discouraged us, if anything, sure. uh, they, because they, they wanted to make sure that it was we followed God's will, not necessarily uh, uh, their will. And, uh, and so they, um, I actually, I was on, on track to, um, to be engineer in construction. Okay. And so that, that was just the, um, the, uh, the direction that yeah. I, I felt comfortable with and I felt that I was talented in. And so, so I was going in that direction until we went on a furlough and things were, would change. So I, I didn't feel any pressure. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it, I, I think, you know, sometimes as missionary kids, we can get discouraged with some of the challenges that we see our parents face. And obviously we saw those not in detail as as obviously they went through them. But uh, but in retrospect, we, we saw several challenges and and um, but we also saw the joys and the victories and. And uh, obviously, life is is full of trouble, as the Bible tells us. And and the thing about the Christian life is that it's not a life without trouble. It's a life where you lean on the Lord and he helps you uh, through the trouble. And so uh, I, I, I never uh, wanted to run away from the ministry, but we were never kind of pushed into it. I kind of desired to go into it. I believe that desire came from the Lord. I hear that a lot from especially young men, uh, missionary kids, or even preacher kids who continue and pursue God's will and God leads them into ministry and whether it's missions or pastoring the States, I hear that often that they never felt that pressure from their parents. And I, I think that's important. I try to apply that as a first generation missionary and my kids growing up as missionary kids. I try to take all that into perspective and appreciate that you would mention that as well on that topic. Is there anything else beside the fact that, you know, your parents pushed you and really taught you to seek God's will for yourself and make sure you're following his will and not their desire. Is there anything else that stood out in your mind? I'll ask this questions a lot to missionary kids. If I meet them at a Bible college, is there anything your parents did that a lot of missionary kids can develop resentment and bitterness. Um, and part of it from what I've studied and researched is if parents go to the mission field when their kids are already older, that can be a difficult transition. You, of course, are two years old. So France is basically that lifestyle is all you knew, the missionary lifestyle. But is there anything that stood out that you mentioned seeing some of the challenges and the blessings but is there anything in particular that your parents did that maybe you're even applying in your family to, to cultivate a spirit of joy in serving the Lord and delighting in the Lord uh, while serving the Lord in difficult contexts? Is there anything that comes to mind? I'm throwing yes. it on you. Yeah. But. Um, we spend time together. Yeah. Uh, I think it's almost basic, but um, and we, we hear about statistics where, you know, uh, pastors have so much pressure 
of the ministry on them that they neglect their family, unfortunately, which leads to uh, tragic endings. And, uh, and dad was busy, but he took the time uh, with us. And I remember playing ball and playing, uh, we would play uh, board games together and all sorts of things. And so w growing up, we really had uh, fond memories yeah. uh, at home. In fact, we couldn't wait to get back home in a lot of, uh, in a lot of scenarios because we, uh, of course, we went to the public school system. And so the, all of the junk that we had to face with that. Sure. So uh, home was, was, was literally a haven of rest, of joy and, and of course, it wasn't perfect, but we had we, we look forward to it. Growing up, uh, missionary kid, you obviously weren't and you had an excellent upbringing, uh, godly parents who loved the Lord and obviously were very balanced with family time and just placing the right emphasis where it should be. A lot of young people who surrender to the Lord, you'll hear it often. It's kind of the cliche. I want to tell the Lord I'll do whatever he wants me to do, but I don't want him to send me to Africa, right? And so when did Africa first, did it ever cross your mind that I'll be a missionary in Africa? And how did Burkina Faso become the country of service? Kind of talk us through that story line. So at, at 16, when I got baptized, I told the Lord, anywhere you lead me, I'll go from the North Pole to the South Pole. I literally didn't have any objections of uh, particular locations. Uh, but when I went to Crown College, I, I, we were confronted with the need of the world. And, and it was during that time that I found out that uh, there's a French speaking country on every continent yeah. of the world. And, and after doing some uh, research, found out that uh, a lot of these African countries are remote and are very needy spiritually. And obviously, you know, America being a big ascending country of missionaries around the world, and mostly to English-speaking uh, countries or Spanish-speaking countries. Um, there's a very a tremendous, uh, very big need in French-speaking countries. And, and so I kind of lean toward uh, being a missionary in a French-speaking country. And then um, after a, a missions conference at Temple Baptist Church, we, um, I, I felt the, I was impressed to go on a missions trip and I was working at Chick-fil-A okay. uh, throughout college. And so summer was a big time for me to save up uh, to, um, to pay the tuition, room and board and all that. Yes. And, uh, but I took a step of faith and told the Lord, you know, next summer, instead of wor working full time, I'll, uh, cause I was working even through college, but yeah. not as many hours. Right. Um, I told the Lord, you know, all summer, I'll, do, I'll go on a missions trip wherever you, you'd like for me. And I contacted my dad and he said, well, uh, what do you think of, um, of getting in contact with a missionary in, in Africa? And he was good friends with um, uh, Keith Shoemaker, yes. who went to Ivory Coast. And uh, at that point, he was in Burkina Faso and he had done language school in France. and was really good friends uh, with my dad. And so I got in contact with Brother Shoemaker. And, and of course, he said, uh, come on over. We'll put you to work. And I was just there for for one month, but it was a life changing month. I didn't want to leave. Yeah. And, and I believe that uh, when I took the plane to, to leave, uh, the Holy Spirit convicted me that I needed to return as a full time missionary. Man, amen. So your wife is from Quebec. My wife is also from Canada. Uh, Brother Stephen mentioned the other day when he's preaching for us, the best women to marry must be from Canada, since we both married Canadian women. Uh, your wife came down to college at Crown College. That's where you met her. Tell us a little bit about a little bit about her story and how you met and her desire to be a missionary. Was that always there? And how did that work? Yes, she 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 wanted to go more into medical missions, and uh, she was looking at. Um, um, 
the the school there, um, Pensacola okay. Christian College, and they offered uh, uh, medicine there to study medicine. Uh, but when she visited the the college, um, she didn't like it for some odd reason. There, was, there wasn't anything to not like about it. Sure, sure, yeah. I've even been there and I loved yeah. it. Yeah. But for some reason, the Lord didn't give her peace about going there. And on the tour of colleges, the last one was Crown College. And, okay. and she loved the emphasis on missions there. Yeah. And, uh, and she felt the Lord leading her. Uh, she was one year behind me. So she graduated in 2011. I graduated in 2010. And uh, we were some of the only French-speaking uh, students in, okay, in, the, yeah. in the college. <laughs> and, uh, and, and so... Um, uh, we had some mutual friends that tried to uh, put us together and we were kind of reluctant to uh, fall into that snare or that setup. <laughs> I would rather say. Yeah. And uh, but uh, after a while, uh, we uh, at our own pace, you know, we, we got to be friends and had some uh, common interests yeah. and we exchanged testimonies. And and, and then eventually I, I um, uh, we started uh, going on dates together that were, you know, in the appropriate college setting obviously and and uh and we just uh, grew to love one another and and eventually uh, we uh, we got married and got graduated in 2010 i got married right after we graduated she are she had uh, one year left okay and so uh, um, uh yeah that's how it happened <laughs> so she was open to africa open to Burkina faso when you told her yeah she was interested in in missions in a french-speaking yeah. country as well Certainly. and so she hadn't considered africa but when she found out i, I would i went there on a mission trip in 2008 she started praying on her own that the lord would give her peace because if we were going to get married Certainly, she'd yeah. have to be okay with that <laughs> yeah excellent. excellent so you guys got married and uh, did you begin deputation right away did you do any type of an internship how did you prepare for that next yeah, step we, we did not um, go on deputation right away. We uh, so we're with uh, Worldwide New Testament Baptist Missions, and their application process is very extensive, okay. and it took me quite a while just to to um, to go through the application process, okay. and, um, and and so so it, it uh, that that was probably the main reason that it took um, that long, and uh, which was fine with us. We we thought that it's you, you can't put enough safety on. Uh, on making sure that uh, missionaries have the right doctrine, the right ideas on on philosophy and and mission work and all that, so uh, we um, we went through that process, and of course there were several uh, uh, one main interview, and uh, and so just to orchestrate all that was uh, was uh, uh, took took a while. And uh, but eventually we, we were able to uh, and actually we, we scheduled our first conference before we were approved okay. uh, by the by the mission. But they, we were almost there. So uh, our general director told us, yeah, you can go ahead and take the conference. Yeah. You can just let them know that you're almost there and we don't see anything that will uh, prevent you from sure. being accepted. And so so it was in uh, I believe it was August, um, yeah, uh, uh, May of 2012 okay. that we got approved. And at that point, I just went on the phone and eight hours a day and, and call as much as I could to schedule meetings. 
Yeah, very good. So you raise support on your way to Burkina Faso. Uh, you finally arrive. Um, how did you form your decision and where you would go? Uh, what influence were put into that? Where you would plant a church? Talk us. Let's walk through the early days of arriving in Burkina Faso. Uh, share a little bit about, you know, what was your vision going into Burkina Faso? How did that begin to be implemented as you got your feet on the ground and you start adjusting to life? So we, we kept in contact with a brother Shoemaker uh, who uh, was in Burkina Faso, I believe since 2003 or, or four. And um, so what the plan was to stay uh, at least one year with him and learn as much as we could from their ministry, their experience as uh, American missionaries living in a uh, Western African country. Yeah. And, and that was a, 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 a tremendous uh, learning a year for both Julie and I, and um, uh, we, we learned so much, uh, especially practical things. Yeah. And uh, and of course, of course, our goal, um, since we were already French speaking, we didn't have to go to language school, so we could get to, to ministry right yeah. away, yeah. and so had plenty of opportunities to preach and share the gospel and minister. and And we were eager to start a first church and put what we had learned uh, to practice, and. Uh, but before we, we wanted to start our first church, we uh, we thought that, well, we need to make sure that we share the gospel with in our neighborhood. And um, uh, and so that's what we did. We started sharing the gospel. And and if people were interested, we could do a discipleship and then plug them into uh, a church that was already planted by another missionary. And and after a while, we uh, the, uh, the group grew and people were getting saved and people were growing in the Lord and and. Uh, and people were starting to talk about organizing a church from the Bible study. Oh, wow. yeah. And uh, and so obviously that was not our plan, but I, uh, Julie and I prayed. We talked with uh, uh, Brother Keith, and he said that the, den the density of the population in, in the capital city is so great that our location where we were doing the Bible study would have been, is fine to have another church there. And so, um, and so we went ahead and started renting property and training those, uh, those first uh, charter members, uh, teaching them the basics and especially the importance about church membership and, and, and the purpose of the church and, and how a church functions. And, uh, and, that, and after, that was a year later, we were able to inaugurate the Bible Baptist Church of Bunyu. That's incredible. So, you go in with a vision and in training and you're excited to implement it. Is that happen often in your experience where you'll have a plan, but then God might have another plan. And how important is it that you stay sensitive to God changing your plans when you're on the mission field? And yet at the same time, let me add this as a caveat, at the same time, maintaining discipline, because we're going to talk about it in a little bit, you work on your own. You don't have a team there with you. And uh, so a lot of times there's, when you're on your own, you need to have character, you need to have self-discipline. And so while you can have a schedule and a plan, uh, how often do you find God leading you another direction? And then are you able to just, hey, let's go with the flow and follow what the Lord's doing? Right. Yeah, great question. Uh, we, we know the truth that without the spirit, all is vain. Mm -hmm. you know, so uh, we can have a plan and, and it's good. And, and, and I, I have to admit uh, in an arrogant way, I thought that, you know, I don't, my French is, you know, 
really good. Grew up in France, and so sure. even the people in Burkina Faso are impressed by the way I speak. I was impressed. He preached for us, and I thought, oh, man, I could listen to him all day. Well, the, the problem is I, I, I put too much confidence in that mm. and thinking that I'll, I'll build a church really quickly, mm. you know, but by having that advantage. And, um, and so, so I thought, you know, I'm going to start a church among the educated people and they'll be right. impressed with my French and sure. we'll be able to put a, a church right up and, and, and then move from there. And, and it, it did not happen that way. <laughs> you, you get a certain vision and, uh, and, uh, and when you hit the ground, uh-huh. uh, where, or you land in, in the country, reality smacks you in the face. And, uh, and, and so, uh, so it, w- it was a good humbling experience for me. And, and I, I, I tell um, even some other missionaries that who express uh, maybe, maybe in a joking way that they say they're jealous of uh, me not having to go to the to language school right. as well as my wife. And we tell them that God can use you just as much as us because it's not, uh, we can't like, Paul refused to glory in all the advantages he had. Yeah. He, he counted it as dumb. And so, uh, so we need to have the same uh, understanding. And it took me a while to get to that because, uh, you know, obviously pride, pride, pride gets in the way. And, and, uh, and the reality is, is if we don't have this, the spirit of the Lord with us and we don't depend on him, it doesn't matter all the qualifications and diplomas we have. Sure. It's, it's not going to amount to much. You had been to Burkina Faso. You had an idea of what life was going to be like there. Um, But just like in the ministry, when you begin to implement your vision, God will change those things and you have to be able to flow with the moving of the Spirit of God. As you mentioned already, how some of the ministry vision changed and and the church began to form when that wasn't initially how you were planning on approaching your church plan. Are there any areas of just living in Burkina Faso? Because I know my first trip to Senegal, there's a lot of romance to when you're young and you know you're called to missions and it's it's you're overwhelmed on your first mission trip and your senses are overwhelmed and you do kind of get this kind of pie in the sky attitude toward hey everything's going to be great. Were there any expectations of living in Burkina Faso or things you you didn't think we're going, this is actually what it's like. So going into Burkina Faso, how much of what you expected life would be like was actual reality or were there things that kind of caught you off guard and that you had to struggle to kind of adapt to or learn to adapt to? Sometimes we call it culture shock. Everybody faces it differently, but were there some things that leaving the deputation trail and actually getting to the field, not just ministry, but culturally wise and living your life in Senegal, in Seneca, in Burkina Faso, that just kind of, this is not what I was thinking or I was expecting that. And how did you adapt to that and, and sure, change yeah. to that? So what was really impressive to me well, the first time I went to Burkina in 2008 was how friendly Burkina yeah. people are, the Burkina Bay people are. And, um, and obviously that did not change, sure. uh, although we did have a few encounters that uh, since we sure, moved to sure. Burkina that were, uh, we could say, uh, unwelcoming, um, <laughs> to say the least. Yeah. Um, and so, and it, but for the most part, we get really uh, very well along with uh, Burkina Bay people. Um, some of the, the things that have shocked us. Uh, my wife immediately she she jumps to the fact that we cannot blend in uh, 
because of the color of our skin. And, um, and there's a word that they use for white people, it's Nasara. And mostly kids uh, uh, shout that when they see us, Nasara, Nasara. Yeah. And, uh, and at, at first, you know, the first couple of years it's cute, uh, but after a while it gets, uh, it gets heavy. And so, um, uh, and my wife has, has a harder time with that than, than I do. And so uh, uh, one of the things I, ha I have really struggled with is the the the, uh, the the way to follow up with people? So um, in in Burkina, uh, it would be normal for someone to have two phone numbers, and some of them even have three, because right. there there'll be a phone service that will go down or or have a promotion. So they're they're always jumping from one, and that's the craziest thing to to follow up people with, you know? And so, um, and obviously some people, they give you your phone number because they're interested in Bible study and, and, uh, and you try to call them and you can't get a hold of them and there's no physical address. You have to follow them to where they live because there's no street names, there's no landmarks to, to, to figure out how to visit them. Yeah. And so following up after people is just, to me, has turned into a nightmare. Mm -hmm. and, uh, and of course, if people don't want to be followed up on, it, it, gets, uh, it gets even more uh, difficult and frustrating. And so that's, that's one of the things I'm, I'm learning to, to try to be patient with. Um, another thing that's become uh, frustrating is, um, is although people in Burkina Faso are very nice and welcoming and they're sincere in, 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 in their friendliness. And, but, uh, but when you start talking about spiritual things, about the gospel and all that, they'll keep that, that uh, friendliness, right. but it's, it doesn't become, it's not sincere anymore. Right. Right. So they, they, um, they'll say, yeah, I'll come to your church. And, and if, if everyone promised that promise to come to church came, we wouldn't be able to hold all those people. We would have, hundred, we would have thousands of people sure. in our church, right. and uh, and so they're very flattering. They they love to tell you what you want to hear, and and that becomes very difficult to to determine who's sincere in their faith, right. Right. and who is just uh, saying what we want to hear, and uh, and so again we have to we have to give room to people and and allow them to. Um, prove that they're genuine in their and what they're saying and so uh, but it, it, there's a fine line between you know we want to run we want to go after souls that are lost but at the same time we have to let them express a desire to to be found so to speak and uh and and that and that has become a struggle uh, from the beginning and even to this day. I mean, like just rec in recent months, we had a Muslim uh, who got saved after the first encounter of the gospel uh, through open air evangelism, and he's still with us. We baptized him a, a few weeks ago, wow. and he's growing in his faith, and it's and it's exciting, you know. And uh, and other people are being affected by his testimony, and uh, uh, unfortunately, that's rare. Sure. Most of the time, people will. Uh, they'll they'll express you know that you know they want their lives to change or whatever, and they'll they'll even come to church, but they'll come once and then mm. it's over. So we, we're dealing, and I'm, I think there's probably another question that you'll ask about the 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 Protestant movement and how yeah. the mentality has affected a lot of uh, what people think of Christianity. Is so they think, oh, the white man, oh, the Protestant church, they have prosperity gospel. So if you come to Jesus. You're going to get wealthy. Yeah. And that lie has crept in into every facet of society, especially in the capital city. Wow. And so everyone wants to try their fortune by following the white, that's money, 
the dollar signs, and Protestant church, another dollar sign, and they think this is the jackpot, you know. And, and obviously when they start coming to our church, they, they find out that that's not what we're about. Right. We're about uh, something greater, uh, which is uh, the eternal life through Jesus Christ. Yeah. Well, break, let's break down the demographic of Burkina Faso, uh, talk about the religions that are adhered to there, um, kind of maybe break down a little bit of uh, what, what tribes and ethnicities are located there. Do you speak any other language besides French? And how do you impl implement that into your evangelism? And uh, later, we're going to break this up into a two-part interview. On part two, uh, we're going to have Brother Stephen go through uh, some conversations that he might have with the different religious background Burkina Bay that he would would confront with the gospel and kind of how he approaches uh, someone from one of those different backgrounds of whatever adherence they hold to, whatever faith they hold to. Uh, so that'll be in part two, but just give us kind of a bird's eye view and also tell us a little bit about, now you're in the capital um, from some of the news I've been following. It's, it's kind of unsafe in some parts. Maybe talk a little bit about that after you break down the demographic, talk a little bit about you know, how does that affect you with, with some of the uh, intensity that's going on in some of the northern areas of Burkina Faso? What caused you to make the decision to stay where you're at and, and all of that? So let's, let's break down, though, first. Let's talk about the demographic, the religion. Yeah. Uh, what are those challenges like when you're evangelizing? So there are about um, a dozen different ethnicities in Burkina Faso, uh, with uh, each one having their, their own language. Mm -hmm. uh, the main one, however, is the Mosi tribe. Okay. And, um, and their language, the Moray language, is spoken by about 50% of the population. Yeah. Yeah. And so it's the most spoken language actually in Burkina Faso after the, uh, or even before uh, the French language, which is the official language right. uh, in Burkina because of being a French colony. Uh, uh, the demographics as far as religiously, 60% um, of the population uh, is Muslim, 20% uh, will be Catholic, and then you have about a 10% 10 um, 10 of the population that's of a Protestant denomination, okay. which can range from Assemblies of God, which have been in Burkina for over 100, oh, close to 150 years, I believe. Um, and then, yeah, any type of new denomination founded by a new founder. That, sure found a new idea in the scriptures that he's running with. Yeah. And, uh, and, yeah, and most of those are prosperity gospel, unfortunately. And then you still have a, a, a small percentage, but still significant of population that is that adheres solely to animism, which is the spiritual right. religion of the ancestors. And so they, they won't. They, and there's a saying in Burkina that uh, reveals that 50% of the population is Christian, 50 is Muslim, but 100% is animist. Right. And what we found is that a lot of Muslims and Catholics yeah. and Protestants even sure. are still holding on to the ancestral uh, religion and, and, and faith and so on. Um, for example, we heard the story early on that when the, the Catholics came uh, to uh, evangelize, so to speak, uh, Burkina Faso, the priest would make rounds and, and he found one of the faithful members of the Catholic Church with his uh, idols and making prayers to the ancestors. And he, and he told them, well, what are you doing? We, we taught you to pray in, in Jesus name. And, and then the old African uh, Burkina Bay said, uh, well, I've tried and your Jesus is too slow, but my ancestors, are, they, when I pray, it's quick. <laughs> and so it just kind of gives the climate of, uh, uh, yeah, we, we like our religion and what it teaches, but 
we like uh, our shortcuts too, you yeah. know, because they, they work. You know, the devil is, is powerful and he'll use any means he can to keep us away from, uh, from uh, something new or, or something that could reveal to us, lead us to faith in Christ. Those are challenges all across Africa. There are certainly challenges faced here, uh, despite being predominantly Islamic where we're at in Senegal. Uh, a lot of animism is still incorporated into the Islamic practice here. And uh, it is, it's interesting that a lot of the Muslims here will be critical of those who are more pure animistic, and yet they'll practice you know, the same rituals and same type of cursings and blessings and prayers uh, to ancestors and things like that. They just change the terminology. And that is a challenge in missions is seeking to present Christ. And when you're a missionary and have you have you faced this trying that you mentioned earlier, trying to weed out those who are sincere and those who are ready to forsake all and follow Christ. One of the challenges is presenting Christ, then you get excited when somebody's like, yeah, I want that. But all they're doing is just adding it to everything they already have. And so being able to discern and work through, uh, is this person really born again? Is the spirit of God really working? Or are they just attaching Jesus mm -hmm. to a litany of other practice, practices they are, already have? Uh, what do you do? Is there a process you go through? And I want you to mention, because you already mentioned as we were talking the other day about uh, how you do church membership and it's it, the process of going through it. And I will, before you get into it, I'll only say, as you study the New Testament, when, when people came to follow Jesus, um, he didn't always just receive them quickly. He gave them difficult questions to answer and they had to be ready to evaluate and really uh, understand what that decision means to follow Jesus. And so uh, I really appreciate what you were sharing with me the other day about how you go through the process of church membership and that probably aids in uh, discerning who are the true believers and those who are there just looking for some sort of advantage. So maybe walk us through a little bit of that process. Yes. So we, um, we really thought about uh, church membership and obviously the influence, Protestant influence in Burkina and how it's so easy to become a member of any type of church there. And, uh, and then there's so many church splits there because there's, 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 a, there's a lack of union and unity can only be based on truth. Yes. And, um, and so people are not really interested in truth. They're more interested in experiences. And if their experience is based on something that's different they don't agree with and it's it's gonna there's gonna they're gonna split um, left and right so we we've determined that we're gonna have a new members class okay. that we're gonna someone who's interested who's professed faith in christ we're gonna plug them in into the new members class and so they can become a a member in a practical sense where they can participate in ministry and whatever but they won't become a active member in the capability of voting into the decision for for decisions in the church and um and so so they won't be there yet until they agree and complete the uh, the the doctrines that will cover during it's about it, it, they have to be faithful every sunday morning for three to four months okay. to complete that new members class mm -hmm. and they have to profess their faith in christ they have to give their salvation testimony in front of our church okay. and the church has to um, vote to uh, receive them as members. So there's, it's quite an extensive process. We've made it difficult 
uh, several hurdles, and, and we did it on purpose. We, we don't want to discourage people from, from progressing in their Christian life, but we definitely don't want to have members uh, who have influence in their church who, who are not with us, although they're there physically, uh, doctrinally, they're, they're not. And so, so we've made that on purpose to make sure that, and I've, I've told our church multiple times that I would rather have a small church that's united on truth than have a large church that's divided and with all sorts of directions going at the same time. It's so important. And as a missionary, you're not just an evangelist, you're taking the role of a pastor. And the precedent that you set as the church planter is going to determine uh, the, the longevity of the church and, and the work there. And we were talking about this the other day, that a lot of missionaries will go in and they'll evangelize and people will respond. And sometimes when you're, you're the white guy in Africa, there's a novelty there and you can easily attract a crowd being the outside. Uh, and yet, after a few years, sometimes we'll rush to, you know, we want to write that prayer letter that, hey, I just trained and turned the church over and, you know, look at how it's grown. And we maybe skip that that process that I, I believe is biblical of this scrutiny of, hey, the, the church is for the church and you got to be born again. And there needs to be a process that 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 unity of the church. I, I love what you mentioned. The unity of the church is built on doctrine. It's built on the truth of the word of God. And uh, it's so important. We've had a similar experience here when we had uh, during covid uh, the number of, of people getting saved doubled uh, during that time while we weren't even meeting as a church. And so we had to go through, uh, Pastor Malik and I went through a long process of just going through and discipling and before we even considered anybody, even for baptism, to join the church. And so, yeah, those things are so important. Let's finish up here and uh, we're going to break for part two here in a minute. But I wanted you to finish up by, you had mentioned how the church kind of just kind of took off. You know, you began discipling your neighborhood, uh, evangelizing in your neighborhood, doing discipleship with those following. And then the church began to take form almost organically. And you just followed the Lord's leading as that developed. What are some methods that you implement that are you found effective? Uh, obviously, there are some methods that you would have been taught in college, but were there some other things that maybe you've implemented into evangelism and outreach that you have found effective in making contacts and getting people the gospel. Some of it you already shared with me the other day. Uh, talk a little bit about some of the methods that you use, and then we're going to close up with that and uh, continue with part two okay. for the next. But Yeah, so um, um, we, uh, as far as we, uh, our evangelistic outreaches, we, we just went door to door. You know, and, and uh, as we find in the book of Acts, daily in the temple and from house to house, they cease not to teach and preach Christ. And so we're just following what the scripture says. And we want to go to every family and make sure they, ha they have an opportunity to hear the gospel. And so that's how we started. Now in Burkina, uh, most people live outdoors. And uh, because they live in mud huts and there's not a lot to do in a mud hut. And uh, even in the capital, a lot of they, they'll just put some mud bricks together and they'll have a property that's recognized by the government, but they don't have the means to build sure. with concrete on there. And uh, and so we have a lot of opportunities to to meet people in the streets. So as we go door to door, we'll meet people also that are passing by and give them a gospel track and confront them with the gospel. Uh, later on, we uh, we started a Facebook page for the church right. and we've I'm doing videos now with um, different uh, topics and and uh, different ways to present the gospel 
And, uh, and we've seen um, uh, that also really be used um, to reach out to a lot of people that we would have never met in person. And, and so that's a wonderful opportunity. And who knows how, what the Lord can do with, right. with that means. And, um, uh, and, and then also a few months ago, this was last year, the end of last year, we, uh, we had uh, the uh, initiative to start a gospel tent. So our church, um, the permanent property that we were able to purchase for the church is sitting just about uh, 30, 40 yards from a paved road. And a paved road in Burkina Faso is going to be uh, industrial location where there's a lot of traffic and a lot of commerce. And so we have uh, thousands of people that drive by on their motos, which is the most popular mode of transportation right. in Burkina. And so we have we we have a tent and a table with different uh, pieces of literature, and we just wave people down and, and greet them, and and those that want to stop, they stop, and those that want to salute and keep driving, they they do, and and it and um, and we've seen several people already get saved through that, and um, and we have we've, we're starting to develop a little library, which is an idea that that, uh, that I was encouraged by uh, uh, your initiative here in, in Senegal with uh, having a library, which is a uh, almost a, a platform through which you can. Um, people who are interested in it, they come and then you, from there you can share the gospel. And so a lot of people are stopped by curiosity. They wonder sure. what we're about. And, and then so we'll, we'll have a few items that we sell and then uh, a few tracks that are free for them to read. Right. And, uh, and also we'll distribute uh, John and Romans there. And, uh, and <laughs> just uh, the other day, we had a, a church member saying, Pastor, what, what, I don't think that's very effective to do that. And I told them, well, tell that to Adama, who is a Muslim that's never been to church, who got saved right off of the gospel tent and, and who's bringing other people. And now other people are getting saved. And so I told them, no, this works. This works. In fact, we should have been doing this earlier. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, and so, so it's really exciting. Exciting. I'm actually sometimes, you know, in the ministry, there are certain things that you dread because, you know, no one enjoys confronting people right. with right. subjects that they don't want to talk about. And, and so we encourage ourselves in the Lord. Uh, but this ministry, the gospel, I actually look forward to it. Uh, it's it's almost become uh, a pastime yeah. in, a, in an interesting way, and uh, and we share the gospel. You know, we go door to door every week, uh, organize soul winning. Uh, but this this I mean, we or even have people asking us, uh, "Are you here every day?" Because they're interested in, right. in what we're doing, right. and we've we've even had people um, uh, give us money. Oh, really? Just because they're like, they're thankful for well, and some of them are Catholics, some are Protestant, but they appreciate what we're doing and yeah. wanting to share the gospel. And so, so the Lord has really encouraged us and the, the folks of our church who are participating in that ministry in a remarkable way. And in one month, the, the last month, we uh, not at the gospel tent, but in different uh, uh, opportunities, we've seen people actually help us financially just because they're thankful yeah. for what we're doing and sharing the gospel. Wow. So it's it's a kind of a breeze in the back to the Lord has given us to uh, to encourage us to to uh, press on with that uh, outreach uh, opportunity and uh, and so we want to definitely uh, keep doing that there's there's so many opportunities uh, going into visiting hospitals also doing the same thing in front of universities and schools sure. and that so there's a lot there's a lot to do uh, with outreach and and um, 
And so I'm trying to take it one step at a time with the church because I don't want to start something that they can't maintain, you know. Exactly. And so, so we're, we're, we want to strengthen certain ministries that will keep going on until the Lord comes. Yep. And, and then with time, as the church grows and makes itself available to ministry, we'll have other outreach opportunities. Uh, yeah, my director, our former director for our mission uh, made the statement to me without compromising the faith, obviously, you need to find what works and just get people the gospel. And that's what we're here to do. We're privileged to serve the Lord here in West Africa. I saw a graph uh, data recently that uh, might have been a, a university. Uh, Bible college that recently did some uh, research and compiled some data and it showed where there are independent Baptist missionaries in the world and where we're at in, in West Africa, right on the border in North Africa. Uh, there's each country has, I think we were Burkina Faso, Senegal and other countries around us. We're in the category of zero to three independent Baptist missionaries. Now that's going to vary. Obviously there's going to be more in some fewer in others, but the point is even across the board of evangelical Bible believing Christian missionaries, because as independent Baptists, we're not the only ones out there doing the work, but in this part of the world, there are just so few missionaries. What would you say to a young man or a young lady uh, listening, trying to figure out God's will for their life? Why should they consider Burkina Faso or West Africa in general to serve the Lord? There's a lot of challenges. It's not an easy place to serve, but why should they, what would you say to them as we close out? Yeah, I, I would say, um, uh, what, what I would say to any young person that, that wants to serve the Lord in missions, or even that doesn't feel a particular call to missions, that just wants to serve the Lord, because obviously that precision can come later. But I would say go, and, go on as many mission trips as you can, as you have the opportunity to do. And, um, and the reality is uh, God doesn't play hide-and-go-seek with us. And, and if we pursue Him and His will for our life, uh, he will make it known uh, at, at the right time. Um, now, I was I, I was taught and not to look at the need, but look to the Lord. You know, so so because if you if you determine what is the most needy country and you go because they're needy, and you put the Lord on the sideline, that then you're you're going to compromise your ministry there because we never serve for the people or for the need, but we right. serve for the Lord. So you, ultimately, you want to go where God leads you. But but I, by the same time, I, I believe that uh, God loves all people, and He doesn't want a certain people group to be neglected. So I believe if every every Christian, every child of God answers the call uh, to go to a particular part of the world. I believe in our generation, we could evangelize the world. Amen. I think the only problem is that we we have too many young people or maybe even laymen who who are resisting the call. And we talked about this the other day that a lot of people say, well, you know, uh, bless you. You know, I, I couldn't do uh, what you're doing there in, uh, in West Africa. And and the reality is we can't do it either or <laughs> for the Lord's help. And so it's it's by God's grace. And 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 they, too, by God's grace, can do the impossible. And that's that's what the scriptures is all about. God using normal people to do abnormal things for his glory. And so, yeah, I think there, there needs to be a, a, a big switch of mentality in, in our churches across the board. And I know there's some uh, churches that send a lot of missionaries and they, they're doing a great job. But I think for the most part, generally speaking, a lot of churches are uh, hanging on till Jesus comes, you know, so to speak. And and uh, they're, they're wanting to survive and and uh, and hold on till 
the the final whistle is blown and yeah. and and that's not the spirit of Christ you know and so we, we need to to advance with the Lord and and even if it's we're living in trying times that doesn't mean that the Lord is stressed about it mm -hmm. and so we shouldn't be we should uh, uh, keep looking to him and so uh, that, that's what I would say to to young people who are interested in missions make yourself available to as many opportunities as you can yeah. and the Lord will and and it's not something you can explain. In, in words, because the calling that God brings on someone is, is a spiritual calling. And so you, sometimes you, you can't explain it or even write it in words, and, and you can attempt to, but when you know the calling of God on your life, you know, you, you know it. And even though you may not be able to express it in detail, uh, God will make it clear to you. And when it's clear, don't let anybody stop you, you know, do what God has called you to do. And so don't make yourself available. And then when you find out precisely what God has for you, go, go all in. Amen. Well, we're going to close out this uh, segment of the Missionary Perspective Podcast. This episode, our interview with Stephen Knickerbocker. What's the best way to get in touch with you? I'm going to leave your contact information in the show notes, but uh, email, is that the easiest way to get in touch with you? Yes, that's the best way. Yeah. So Nick and Burkina at gmail.com. That's gmail.com so that's k-n-i-c-k-i-n-b-u-r-k-i-n-a at gmail.com excellent and uh, we'll leave those in the show notes be sure to let him know uh, his his interview here has been an encouragement and uh, if you don't have a missionary if you're a pastor listening you don't have a missionary in Burkina Faso uh, he's a great missionary to support and get behind and uh, be sure to pray for him and his family uh, be sure to tune in next week for our episode we're going to talk a little more about some of the specifics in evangelism and uh, some that he has learned from a biblical approach to evangelize those with differing worldviews. Even within just Burkina Faso, there are differing uh, worldviews that they are vying for dominance and uh, the gospel can, can address any worldview and any religious perspective. The gospel touches every aspect of false view that man can come up with. And so he's what he's learned. He's going to share with that next week and, and share some personal testimony of some, some of the challenges that he and his family has faced and how God has given them grace and victory over those things. So be sure to tune in. Thanks so much for watching. Be sure to like and share and leave a comment and uh, a review. All of that helps us with the uh, ratings and the algorithm and all of that. Let us know if you've been blessed by this episode. God bless. Have a great day.